0: You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. The words that say when darkness is all around us, and, you know, sometimes in life that's the way we feel, you know. Darkness is all around us. It's closing in on us. And yet, uh, you know, Christ is there. And uh, we just praise the Lord for that. Well, our children are ahead of the game here. I was going to pray for y'all before you left, but we'll pray as you're leaving and uh, as the children are making their way to children's worship and as we take just a moment to pray together. Let's, Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to You, Lord. We thank You, uh, Lord, for the precious lives of the boys and girls, dear Lord, that are now leaving and preparing to go to a place that, Lord, they can have that individual attention and time, to, uh, time, dear Lord, to hear Your Word broken down and spoken in a way that maybe they can better understand. And, Lord, we pray for those that lead them that You'll give them counsel and wisdom. Wisdom, Lord. pray for every family and by their little lives. Pray, dear Lord, for those in the nursery and the preschool, those that are so faithful to watch the children. We just thank you, Lord. Pray, dear Lord, for us as we gather in here. We ask you, dear Lord, to open up our minds, open up our hearts, dear Lord. Let Let us understand and grasp, Lord, the words of the songs that if we have sung have encouraged me because our God is strong in us by the power and indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank You for Jeffrey and Megan and Amanda and all those that lead our our, our worship. Lord, we just pray the richest blessings. Lord, we love You. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. I want you to remain standing. Wow, what a group of kids. We ought to give them a round of applause as they're leaving. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 13. We're in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 13, and uh, our sound guys are in the process of redoing our sound, and and, uh, we've got some new equipment, so you bear with us as we uh, try to work out the kinks and and get it where it needs to be. Today we're going to be talking about uh, eschatology, and, and that's a fancy word for the end times. And you know, a lot of times people ask the question are we living in the last days? Are, are, is this the end times? Is the rapture or the snatching up of God's people? Are we living in those days? And, and you know, I, I did a series. In fact, Reggie and I were talking a moment ago. I did a series a few years ago called Raptured in which I basically, if you remember for those that were here, we walked through some of the different views of eschatology, the end time, the apocalyptic type material of the Bible, where we talked about what it means, uh, some of that that terminology. And if you can, you can go back and listen to that. You go back to our, go to the website, ssbaptistchurch.com, go to that series called Raptured, and you can kind of catch up on this and it may help you a little bit. A lot of times when we're dealing with a subject like this, I'll say buckle your buckle your few belts. In other words, get ready because we're going to be going through a lot of material, and we're going to try to do it fairly quickly today. And in some ways, you're going to be in school. You're going to be uh, you're going to be in seminary because we're talking about again about eschatology, end times, prophecy, end time prophecy, and uh, that kind of material in the Bible. Now there are a lot of different theological views and positions and opinions. And uh, I don't know, how many of you remember the series Left Behind? You know, for some of you, you may have read that. It was a series that was put together by a man by the name of Tim LaHaye. And um, I mean, uh, yeah, Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. And they basically put together this series called Left Behind. In fact, it even culminated in some movies, uh, some Christian movies that a lot of churches were able to watch and Christian people. In the opening scene, and I've used this before, but in the opening scene of that first book, there is a scene where they're on a 747. It's a continental flight. They're going across a transcontinental. They're going across the Atlantic. I believe they're going from maybe Atlanta to London. When the the stewardess walks into the cockpit and she says to the captain, she says, Captain, people are missing. And the captain kind of looks and says, well, you know, uh, what do you mean they're missing? They, they're, you know? She said, well, they're not in their seats. He said, well, you know, this is a big plane and people could be in the, they could be in the restroom, they could be anywhere and people are out milling around and, you know, and if you've ever been on a large plane, that is the case. She said, captain, you don't understand. She said, people are missing. She said, by that, what I mean is simply this, their clothes, their shoes, their socks, the everything, every piece of their garment is sitting in the seat. It's as if they have been exhumed out of their bodies. They're not here, but their clothing and everything else is. And it's a way of initiating this idea of the rapture. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13-18, through where Paul talks about this moment, rapture, snatched up, where Jesus Christ will come and he'll receive his people, his church. Now you may say, well, that's kind of far-fetched, but at the ascension... You remember when Jesus was resurrected and ascended. You remember when he was going up, the disciples were all looking up. The early New Testament church, they were all looking up. And the angel said, why are you standing here gazing? Now go and carry out what he told you to do, which was the great commission. Because just as he went up, one day he's coming back. And as a believer, we believe that. Well, in Matthew 24, in Luke 21, and in today's passage, Mark 13... Jesus is talking about this subject of the end of time, eschatology, prophecy, and even his own return of when he will return. So let's look at that. Mark chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. As he, Jesus, was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives sits out sits above the Temple mound, so you're able to look down at the Temple. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the Temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked Him privately, tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Now I want you to take a left and go to Matthew 24. Because in Matthew 24, it spells it out even a little more clearly in Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 1, Matthew said, Jesus left the temple, was walking away with his disciples. When his disciples came up to him, called his attention to his to the buildings, do you see all these things, Jesus asked. I tell you the truth, truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Verse 3, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now watch this, because Matthew makes it a little clearer. Tell us, they said... When will this happen? Now everybody look this way. When will what you just said, the destruction of the temple, which was, an, which was built by Herod and was considered by the Greeks to be one of, the seven, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. This thing literally was covered in gold and was so mesmerizing that in the, when the sun hit it, you couldn't look at it. It was an unbelievable edifice. They said, when will the temple be destroyed, which was in 70 A.D. by the Romans? They go on to say, watch this, tell us, they said, when will this happen, what you just said, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age or the consummation of the age? Now let's go back to Mark 13, verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am him, or I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines. These are the beginning of what? What does he say there? Birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will, uh, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you will say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, a father his children, his child, children will rebel, rebel against their parents. They'll have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see, verse 14, the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out, let no one in the fields go back to get his cloak, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women, nursing mothers pray that it will not happen in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled, are you there from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short. Those days no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear, they'll perform signs and wonders to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard, I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, watch what he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. We'll stop there. Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We just pray now, Lord, I pray you give me clarity of mind, Lord. This is a daunting task, and we give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. There's three points here. Number one is basically the systems that somehow or some uh, they they surround the scriptures and uh, give us different interpretations of the end time. In other words, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verses one through three. When Jesus made this statement, let me, let, me, let me put it in a scenario, maybe you could understand it. This is, is the equivalent of you being in Washington, D.C. You're looking at the Lincoln Memorial, you're looking at the Washington Monument, you're looking at the White House, the National Capitol, you're, you're looking at all these edifices that make up Washington, D.C. and represent our seat of government. And somebody came up to you and said, listen, this is going to be rubble. It's all going to be destroyed. Let me ask you something. Would that alarm you? It better. If all of a sudden this government, this nation, our democracy, our economy, our nation collapsed, then let me tell you something. All the children that just walked out of here, their lives will be forever affected. You know, sometimes we become flippant about government. And we become flippant about our nation. But let me tell you something. This nation is one of the great hopes of the world still. Still the most benevolent nation in the world and the nation that carries the gospel to much of the world today. If there is stability, much of it comes from America. If America were to collapse, it would be astronomically, it would affect the entire world. And people are basically, those children, are depending on us to work through our differences. So the disciples, when Jesus said that Herod's temple, this great monument, this edifice, would be destroyed, then they asked three questions. They said, number one, when will that happen? It happened in 70 AD. The Romans came in, sacked Rome, and destroyed the temple, and even the, even the stones that made up the foundation plowed them up. Now, basically, they were trying to get the gold that pretty much covered the temple. Then they said, when will be the sign of your coming? In other words, the second coming of Christ. And when will the age of the consummation of the age? Basically, what the Bible, what every Jew understands is this. Is that time has a beginning and time has an end. The time, space, matter is held within between my two hands here. Here's the beginning and here's the end. The end is what they refer to as the consummation of the age. So they were saying, when will time end? And when will this world, this universe end as we know it? as we experience it. Now the book of Daniel in the Old Testament was a mystery. A lot of people didn't understand. Nobody understood Daniel until Jesus Christ came on the scene and then the book of Revelation, it began to kind of break it apart. But basically when we look at the end time eschatology, we're basically talking about different systems. In other words, I tend to be what we would call a pre-trib. Let me explain a pre-trib. A pre-trib position is basically this, I believe that at some point in the future that Jesus Christ is going to rapture, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he used the word called up, which is the word we use for rapture, that Christ is going to catch up his people, called up raptured. we're going to be gone. The rapture, when it takes place, will be before the seven years of tribulation. Once God removes his church and his people, then it initiates a catastrophic um, collapsing of our world system, which is called the tribulation. And during this period of time, an individual, a figure, a governmental leader will come to the forefront and in unison with a religious prophetic figure will bring stability to a world that has experienced a catastrophic event. I believe Hollywood is hatched out of hell. I have no doubt at all. Hollywood is a tool of of the enemy, the prince of the air. But let me tell you what Hollywood has convinced you and I of. Hollywood has convinced you and I of extraterrestrial type beings. So I believe that when the rapture takes place, when people are all of a sudden gone, you know what I believe the number one reason will be explained on most news networks? It will just simply be that we've been invaded by some other force out there in the universe that just stole a bunch of people. And we'll be gullible enough to believe it. But a pre-trib is a person who believes in the rapture, and that's seven years of tribulation. In the middle of the seven seven years of tribulation, that about three and a half years into that tribulation period, that all hell will begin to break loose, and we move through these events. So if, if, you know, pre-trib is somebody who believes the rapture will take place before the tribulation. Listen, that we, the church, will not go through the tribulation. That God will remove us before the tribulation. A post-trib is what? What would you think a post-trib is? That's right. Reggie said it. I told Reggie, I'm going to put a mic on you. You're going to help me through this because he's going to be in chapter 14 next week. But, you know, basically a post-trib is somebody who believes that the church will not be raptured but will go through the tribulation and then afterwards take it. Now, if a person's a mid-trib, what do you think they believe? They believe in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years, when there's a breakdown in the peace of the world, all of a sudden the world begins to collapse its governments and we're moving toward what we believe is the battle of Megiddo, which is what the battle of Armageddon, that we believe that the mid-trib are those people that will be taken out at that point. When it really gets hot and bad, God's going to take us out. And then there's an amillennial position where they don't believe in any of this. They basically believe that we're living in the millennial now and that eventually Jesus Christ will return. Everybody look this way. Jesus Christ will return. Make that, let me make that clear. No matter what these different positions are, there's one thing that we all agree upon is that there will be a literal return of Christ. Now, when you look at these different positions, and you look at eschatology, and you look at the end time, there are certain components, and I, just, I don't want to get bogged down with this, but one is the rapture of the church. That God simply, Jesus Christ comes, takes his bride, and the Bible says we meet him midair. The Bible says, again, Paul said, and we who are alive and remain. Listen to what Paul said, and we who are alive and remain. You know why Paul was turning the world upside down was because Paul believed it could happen in his lifetime. And we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with those in the and so shall we ever be with Christ. That's the rapture. Secondly, another component is the tribulation, which basically means this, that if the rapture takes place before the tribulation, that once God removes his church, that all hell begins to break loose. Our economies, our systems, our governments of the world begin to break down, and all of a sudden people are in absolute chaos. Let me explain it this way. If the rapture takes place right now, and you may say, well, I don't think it will now. The Bible says, in an hour that you think not, so cometh the Son of Man. If the rapture takes place right now, immediately let me tell you what will happen to the United States. As bad as we are, I believe we will be I, because in prophecy, at, let's say, let's say the Battle of Armageddon. Let me tell you who's not at the Battle of Armageddon. America. You can't find America in the end time prophecy. And people say, well, why? I believe it because even though we're we've got our problems, we are a Christian nation and we'll be the most heavily devastated by that by the rapture of the church. In other words, our government, our businesses, our military, so many of these things, once you remove the Christian community, once you take the church out, all of a sudden America becomes insignificant in the world scene. Are you with me? Say amen. So once the rapture of the church takes place, then the world system... Satan's world fallen sin filled system begins to break down and a political figure has to come to the forefront and basically solidify the entire world in order for it to survive and get its feet back up under it again so uh, the millennial reign I'm not going to get into that that's a thousand year reign of Christ the last judgment but um, I thought here, because you may have to go back and listen to the series, but I thought here, yeah, I want to stop here and tell you some reasons why I believe we could be living in the last days. Okay, so kind of, kind of bear with me. When you, if you go back, and we probably will, we'll probably at some point go through the book of Revelation. I'll go ahead and prepare you, get you ready. Uh, you know, but we'll probably go through the Revelation. The, the book Revelation was written by John the Beloved while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. John the Beloved, when he wrote Revelation, the word Revelation means to reveal. It means to pull back curtains so that you and I are allowed to see the end of time. When you look at Revelation, the Bible says, and I always love to do this because it makes people so rotten nervous. So let me do it here. In Revelation, the language is this. Sheila's getting nervous. Is that going to hold me up? Okay. Now, Ledge is telling me to get down, but I'm not going to get down. Because let me tell you something, Edna is saying the same thing, but the reality is, is this is John. John is in heaven. The Bible says that a window was opened up into heaven, and John in heaven from the throne room of God is told to watch what he's observing it would be the equivalent of everything at the floor level that door represents the beginning of time that door represents the consummation of the age or the end of time and this is time and space and matter as we understand it in our limited abilities with our five with our with our senses but john is outside of creation in the throne room of god looking and observing and god says john i want you to write down everything that you're seeing john in revelation talks about seven seals he talks about seven trumpets. He talks about seven bowls or vials, and there are three series of seven judgments that are pronounced on the earth as God is dealing with man's rebellion and man's sin. Now why do I believe? Well when I look at, when I look at a, you know, apocalyptic material, when I look at some of these things that we're talking about here. Uh, when I look at eschatology and end time prophecy, when I look at these things, and even when I look at Revelation, my mind always thinks like this: that John, right now, if John were where, if John were in heaven right now observing our time period, let's say that we were on the brink of the rapture of the church and the tribulation and the end of time. If John were he, if John were looking at our time right now, he would use language. That was two thousand years old. In other words, John would be describing things, but he would be a two thousand year old man if he were describing, let's say, our military. If he were, how would he describe a helicopter? John talks about seeing something that looked like a bug, looked like a locust. He said it had the face of man. He said it sounded like a thousand chariots uh, running. He he said it had a sting in its tail. If you've ever in the military, I would. Uh, rode in a helicopter. And let me tell you something, that's about what I would describe it if I was a 2,000-year-old man looking at modern weaponry. I don't know. We don't know whether Revelation is symbolic or whatever, but we see things that are strange to us. Let me give you an example. Go over to Revelation, go over to the last book of the Bible, look at Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation, you know, If I sound like I'm jumping around, I am because I'm just trying to give you a quick overview, and bear with me. In Revelation chapter 13, where John is from the throne room of God, watching time come to an end, watching the, the final days, watching this time perhaps in the tribulation. In Revelation 13, 15, um, John said this, and I'm trying to find it myself, I've, got, I've lost it in my mind. He said, he's talking here about the Antichrist. He's talking about this political figure. He says, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that he could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now everybody look this way. The Antichrist, who will be in a position of authority and rule during the tribulation, will basically have his own resurrection. He's going to be killed and he's going to come back to life. And it basically is going to dupe the entire world. The world is going to look at him. They're going to be amazed. But the Bible also says here, it uses the word, in the word image is the Greek word icon. And basically what John was saying, now remember, if he's 2,000 years in the future, what would he be saying when he looked at our computer screens? What would he say when he looked at our TV? When I was looking at this, when I was living in Africa, I was getting ready to preach, and I looked down at the Shona Bible, and it said, Mufana Nitzoh. Mufana Mufananizo, Alan, in the, in the Shona language of the African, the word image was translated Mufana mufananizo. And I thought, wow, what is it? Because that's the word for picture. And all of a sudden it made me aware of the fact that the African was saying that according to them and their translation, that what John saw was a picture and it was given life. Let me ask you something. If John the Apostle were 2,000 years in the future and he saw a TV screen and it came live and began to speak, what do you think he would think? And you may say, well, you know, I don't know if I believe that. Well, I don't know if I do either. But he goes on to say this. He said the image of the uh, he said the image was given the ability to speak, and it caused everyone to worship the image. Well, I can tell you this much. I don't even if we look at TV, most TVs are arranged in the average living room like an idol that's above everything, right? Watch what he says. Verse 16, he also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive on the mark on the right hand or on his forehead, so that no one, look at verse 17, are you there? Say amen. So that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Basically what John is saying here in the Revelation, John is saying during the tribulation, the, the economy of the world, the markets of the world will be controlled by one individual, and that individual will control it by a mark by something that will be on the person and he goes on to say this he says down in verse 18 this calls for wisdom if anyone has insight let him calculate the number of the beast for it's a man's number its number is 666 and basically what John was saying is that what he was seeing was a time in the future when a political leader would control the economy of the world and you and I can't live we can't function we can't buy we can't sell we can't do anything without having a mark either on our forehead or on our hand. Now, let me tell you something. Fifty years ago, people laughed at that. For 2,000 years. I can show you commentaries written years ago. 1700, 1800s. This was all symbolic, but it's not anymore. Miss Linda, who's been at uh, Sam's for over 30 years. Sam's for over 30 years. 32 years, is that right? Uh, What do I have to have to get into Sam's? What? I have to have my membership card. Can I buy, sell, or carry on a transaction action in SAMS without that card? No. What is that card? Is that card that card is a picture of me, but that card is what? That card is a number. What are you? Are you a name? Your number. Your social security number, your driver's license number, your SAMS has your number. In fact, let me say this, every item in SAMS has a number, a numerical value to it. You can't go into SAMS and do anything. You can't carry on no commerce, you can't buy, sell, or do anything. Fifty years ago, people had no idea what we were talking about. We, you and I, could literally be in the days that Revelation is talking about. Again, I go back to this, when I opened my wallet, if I carry on a transaction, Visa, Capital One, uh, Master Char- Mastercard, all of these basically say that I'm a number, and I have to, and I can carry on commerce without using any monetary money at all. Now, let me tell you what credit card companies say. The biggest problem today in the credit card industry is what? Fraud, identity theft people able to use your card or whatever. What is the primary way that we can, credit card companies, they're begging for it now, but how can you protect the consumer and the credit card company? What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to somehow figure out a way of putting the identification on the person. We're already doing this with our pets. And people more and more are doing this with children. And you may say, well, you know, you know uh, are we living in that day? Yes. And let me tell you, you go down to the local hospital... Let's say whenever this time is and some OBGY doctor comes in and looks at, uh, looks at this mom or looks at this new baby or a pediatrician comes in and says, now would you like to be a part of the new governmental program where we put a computer chip in your child to make sure that we can monitor their whereabouts and this will save just in case they were ever kidnapped or whatever. People were laughing at this 50 years ago. It's not laugh, nobody's laughing anymore. It's a real possibility. Hey, let me ask you something. Let's stop right here. Could we be living in the last days? He uses, he uses the terminology here. He says the number of the man is 666. Let me give you an example. Six, how many characters is that? Three. Three characters. What's unique about them? Two things. It's three characters and they're like characters. What do you do every time you go onto a computer? What's the first thing that comes up? <laughs> WWW. Uh, Spiritual, you know, people look and they say, well, you know, sp- and I, hey, wait a minute now. Hey, listen, I've spent my life studying the scripture. I've spent my life studying commentaries. I've studied some of the greatest men and women when, they come, when it comes to the history of the church. Let me tell you something. Just here recently, we've only come to an understanding that some of this eschatological stuff that we've been studying could literally be true. People say, you know, I don't believe in a spiritual world. I don't believe in a spiritual world. Well, let me ask you something. What's the, what's the, what's the trouble spot of the world? What's the trouble spot? What's, what's the trouble spot of the world? Politicians can figure this one out. They would be the hero. Where is it? Israel. Now, Israel is not even half the size of the state of Mississippi. It, it's, how many people? There's a few million people. There's not many people that live there, but it continues throughout history to be the focal point of the world, and right now is a focal point of our world. It Israel is a picture of spiritually a world that we can't see. I was look. I was reading um, A. W. Tozer, and he was talking about if you and I could, if if God would pull back and we could see the spiritual realm how it would open our eyes immediately to what's going on around us. Let me tell you something. Absent from the body present with the Lord, just like that door separates this room from another, I can tell you this much, there is another dimension, another world, and it is a spiritual world, and there is a war going on in that spiritual world in the place of our Creator for the hearts and the minds of the people sitting in this room. Is Jesus Christ coming back? Are we living in the last days? Possibly. In Revelation 18, this is something else that I find kind of interesting. In Revelation chapter 18, verse thir- Revelation 18 verse 3, John says something here that I find kind of interesting. He says, For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. I often wonder here, and I may be wrong here, but this may be speculation, But he talks about the wine of her fornication. Fornication is always, many times in the Bible, used for spiritual adultery. God told Hosea that Israel had been spiritual adulterers. And he talks about basically the markets of the world being being duped and buying into the wine of her fornication. And I wonder sometimes if that's not oil. I wonder if that's not the Arab world. I wonder if that's not oil. And let me tell you something. You know why our economy is doing well? You know why we're... You know why we're employed? You know why our markets are better? Watch oil. When oil goes up, jobs, unemployment goes down for the most part. The, world, the, the governments of the world are consumed with oil. If you limit our oil supply, if you cut our oil off, it's the equivalent of cutting a man's artery. He will bleed to death. Our economy will collapse immediately if we don't have oil. We're drunk on it and that's why at the White House now we have the Quran and we celebrate Ramadan. Why? Because we're willing even to forfeit our spiritual moorings, our values, in order to ensure that we maintain our oil. Let me tell you why. If you're African-American, let me tell you why we're not worried about many of the countries in the continent of Africa because they serve no purpose when it comes to one commodity, oil. Could we be living in the last days? I don't know. If you go on and, and, and uh, you know, if you, if you look at Revelation 2 and 3, he talks about the seven churches. If you look at Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 10, Peter said that in the last days there'll be scoffers, mockers, they'll be saying, where's the sign of his coming? You know, everything continues like it always has. It's been a thousand years, nothing's happened. And then Peter says, but a thousand years is like a day to God. Paul said, and we who are alive and remain, Paul said, I could be alive when it happens. Peter said, it may be a few thousand years, but it's coming. Because Peter said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me ask you something. Is it hard to live out your faith? Are you being persecuted, isolated, ostracized? You're in the most tolerant nation in the world, right? Isn't our nation the freest, a democracy, our government? Isn't every part of our nation the freest of any nation in the world? Let me ask you something. Do you feel free today as a Christian? A nation that, 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 that shouts tolerance, do you feel there's an intolerance when it comes to what belief group? What group? Is it the, is Muslims being attacked? Hindu, Buddhist. You see, the reality is Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 24, he says it here. He says, listen, in the last days and these days prior to his return, he said, what you're going to see, you're going to see some things that will begin to happen. One of them is this. You're going to see a persecution of the church. Do you feel persecuted? Look this way. 2017 was the worst, most persecuted year in the 2,000-year history of the church. Is it getting better? Jesus, when he he speaks here in in Mark chapter 13 in, in Matthew 24, and you'll have to go back and look at this, Jesus is basically saying, he's saying that these are some signs, these are some things that you need to be aware of. In Luke 18, he used this statement. In Luke 18, 8, he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Listen, everybody look this way. It is harder and harder to believe, right? The atheist are on a war hatched out of the pit of hell, they have declared war against the Bible and the faith system that you and I hold to. And a lot of Christians are not surviving it. The faith is under attack. You know what Jesus said in Luke 188 He said, "When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? You know what he said? He said if those days were not ex- he said the days would be shortened for the sake of the elect because if he didn't shorten them even they would give up the faith. Is your faith under attack? you having trouble believing? The Bible made it clear all the way through eschatological writings. The prophets warned that to hold on to your faith would take everything in you to do it. These are the days that we're living in. Are we living in the last days? I don't know. Jesus talked about deception. He said many will come and they'll talk about this is, this is the end. One writer said this, he said, no one, listen to this Jehovah's Witness are in this community, so let's use Jehovah's Witness. No one has missed the mark more than Jehovah's Witness who have made numerous false predictions about the coming or the end of the age, the consummation of the age. They, they said it would happen in 1874. They said it would happen in 1878. They said it would happen in 1881. The Jehovah's Witness said it would happen in 1910. They said it would happen in 1914. They said it would happen in 1918, said it would happen in 1925, said it would happen in 1975. They said it would happen in 1984. They've messed it nine times. A guy by the name of Edward Edgar Weisnot wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Take Place in 1988. Popular book. Did he get it wrong? Just like the Jehovah's Witness. Oh, oh, for all the New Agers, the Freethinkers. You remember this one? The Mayan calendar that they predicted said that the world would come to an end, the consummation, December the 21st, 2012. Yeah, I mean, it's just over and over again. So what the Bible's saying, Jesus is saying, listen, don't be duped, don't be deceived. He said there'll be wars, rumors of wars. Are you there? Do you hear it? You hear the wars and rumors of wars? They're everywhere. Hey, you know what World War I was? You know what World War II was? These were the wars to end all wars. You know what? In the 20th century was the most war-filled century in in the history of our world as far as recorded history is concerned. Have we, are we becoming more peaceful, more tolerant, more able to work through our differences? No, there's rumors of wars everywhere. Jesus said, don't be alarmed. Natural disasters. Romans 8, Paul said, it's like a woman traveling in labor. In Mark 13, 8, the, Mark uses the word sorrow. Jesus used the word sorrow, which is birth pains. In Peru, we had an earthquake that retilted our earth. NASA said, shorten our days. You can go to a website where you can watch earthquakes just like that. Why? Because the Bible says that creation will travail. The earth will travail like a woman in labor. Because why? Because it senses its creator. My dad spent his life... Hey, my dad's a Christian. He's a brilliant man, the most brilliant man I know. Spent his, spent his much of his life helping get men to the moon. And that ain't even a mite on a speck of dust. And with all our intelligence and all our efforts, do you know how far we've been able to accomplish our scanning of the universe, of finding life yet? It is as if God put this little blue marble in a solar system on the backside of the Milky Way in our universe just simply to remind us that he has made a special place for his creation and those that reflect his image. I've already said persecution. Hey, the church... Don't worry about the church. The faith may be struggling here. Anybody want to tell me where the fastest growing church in the world is, Amy? You've got two kids from there. Where is it? China. Elam and Zeke, my two adopted grandchildren, come from China. China. It is the fastest growing church in the world. Look this way. It is exploding in the underground church. Islam, don't worry about Islam. Let me tell you something. There are churches that are developing in Islamic areas and they're growing and they're vibrant. Jesus said, he said, and this gospel shall be preached to all the world and then the end will come. I'm going to close with that. I've, there's other things that I could say. You can go back and you can look at some of the signs and the indicators that Jesus shares here. But let me, let me put it this way. You know, a lot of times people, they'll say, well, you know, um, you know all that may be true. You know, you're right. Our, our creator, the Bible said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Our creator, you remember the African Muariaka Feika Munyama. Our creator put on the flesh and man came into his own creation. If you want to fix a computer, maybe you have to go inside it to do it. He went inside his creation to fix what only he could fix, and that was he would have to deal with sin personally. God, the creator, would have to go in and kill the virus of sin. He would have to kill the virus of sin by going into his creation and taking the virus and nailing it to the cross. And you may not believe it, hey. You don't believe in the spiritual realm? That's fine with me. But I can tell you, much, I can tell you this much: is very much a place, and it's real and it's true. But the Bible says that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. In a moment, the Bible says. Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter five. And you go back and read it on your own. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says it'll come like a thief in the night. Anybody ever break into your house? Does the thief call ahead of time to tell you he's coming? Does the thief come to the door at 2 o'clock in the morning? Getting ready to break in? Here to steal your stuff? No. A thief comes secretly. He comes in a way that he can slip in and do whatever he's going to do, whether, whatever criminal act. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back and takes his church it'll be like a thief in the night. All of a sudden God's people will not be here. Let me explain that. Mom, you're going to go to your you're going to go to your you're going to go to that nursery. You're going to walk in there and that baby's not going to be in the crib. Mom, dad, you're going to go to the school to pick up your elementary kids and they're not going to be there. You're going to call your pastor whether it's Brother Reggie or whether it's Brother Jeff, we're not going to be here. You're going to call those people that you knew were godly and influential, those people that lived it out day in and day out, and you're going to get a a dead signal because they're not going to be here. And in that moment, the world as you and I know it will be changed. You may say, well, I don't believe that. Let me ask you something. Has Jackson got better since all the churches closed? As we look up and down, see relics of churches? No. You and I know that the Christian is the salt of the earth. They're the light. They're the city on a hill light, salt, yeast. Uh, we're, we're, We're the element. We're the element that we permeate governments and institutions when we're Right. I'm not talking about this stuff we see in a lot of business world and governments. I'm talking about the real true deal, true believers. But once we're out of the picture, you know how long it'll take the world to self-destruct? Seven years. And God will have to intervene to stop it. So the question comes down to this, are you ready? I mean, regardless of whatever millennial position, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all-millennial, whatever position, let me tell you what every scholar, everyone who studies the Bible says, every person who studies the Bible says this, God will intervene in his creation, and when he does, he's going to take his people home. That's for certain, the coming of Christ. Are you ready? And you may say, well, you're not. That may be true. But I tell you what, preacher, if that's true... And that rapture happens. And I wake up that morning and everything you've said and you've described is true. I won't take the mark of the beast. I won't get caught up in that world system. I'll stand strong. You know what the Bible says? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I doubt that. Because most of you, you don't, you have so much pride, you wouldn't even walk down this aisle and give your life to Christ. If you can't stand the pressure of a handful of people who love you and praying for you and want you to make a decision for Christ, can you imagine the hell that you're going to be going through during the tribulation? And you may say, well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, be alert, be ready, be sober, be vigilant. The Bible says, be ready. You know what Jesus said? Be watchful. You better wake up, you better be looking because he's coming. And the question is, are you ready? And if you don't know Christ today and you've never given your life to Christ, you couldn't pay me to... Listen, I've scratched the surface. I'll stay and talk to you as long as you want to talk. You can drill me. You can test me. You can take the Bible. You can take whatever you want to believe. You can pound away. I'll meet you right up here. But I guarantee one thing, I've scratched the surface of the information that I could give you that I believe would be indicative of the fact that we could be living in the last days. Are we? I don't know. But I want to be ready. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, for every man and woman, young person who may be listening in this room, those that may be listening by the sound of my voice over the website even now, Lord, maybe you've spoken to their hearts. Lord, are we living in the last days? We don't know. But Lord, when those disciples ask for signs, Lord, you begin to give them clear signs and things that they would need to look at and be mindful of. Lord, undoubtedly, you did that for a reason. So Lord, we pray right now, dear Lord, first of all, if we're living in those days, and Lord, your return is soon to be then Lord may we as believers be busy about the kingdom's work, t- sharing our faith, talking to people about Christ we're not doing the great commission like we once did because we're discouraged, we're defeated, our faith is under attack, we wonder if anybody believes but the Bible doesn't tell us to do the great commission because people believe or not it just says go and do what I told you to do just like Daniel You said deception will come, persecution will come. You said the gospel will be preached to all the world. When you made that statement, the gospel would be preached to all the world in Matthew 24, 14. There was no Bible, there was no New Testament, there was the, not the canonization of the scripture. There was no radio stations, no TV. Jesus, you were looking at a you were looking at a dozen men, and you were saying, Do these dozen men are going to take a crucified Savior? who will be resurrected the most far-fetched story in the history and they're going to change the world and today the church in china is exploding thank you jesus this gospel shall be preached to all the world and the end will come and lord today this gospel stands here for the people that are in this room people that are listening by the website god you're speaking you're calling to us to repentance calling us to give our hearts and lives to you and if there's one here that has never done that, may they do that today may they just simply say Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I have messed up in my life I have sinned and made a mess of my life but I know you love me I know you died on that cross for my sin come into my heart Lord give me be my Lord and Savior. May people make that decision and come forward and make it public and then say, brother Reggie, ledge or brother Jeff or whoever I want to be baptized. I want everybody to know what I've done today. Lord for others in this room they need to plant their life somewhere, be a part of a church. may they come. But more than anything, may this encourage us that, Lord, the word is truth. We can believe it. As those Africans, Mufana so. the picture was given life and it began to speak. It's a pretty good picture of the day we're living. Many signs. May we be ready. We pray this in the name of Jesus.